Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Hello and welcome along to this week's edition of the Squawker Talker podcast. And with the season now all wrapped up as Carlo reigns supreme in Paris, we are turning our attention to awards season. The Squawker Talker football podcast awards for the 2021-22 season. Yep, forget about the Ballon d'Or. This is the real award show that all the cool kids are talking about this season. So shine your shoes comb your hair, and if you feel like wandering onto the stage and belting someone in the face, well, go for it. If it makes you feel better, just go for it. So on today's show, we're going to be handing out some big gongs. We're going to be going for the player of the year or the MVP, the rookie of the year, the best manager, the best goalkeeper, and with an eye on the summer, the most in-demand transfer target. So plenty to get through, and we are going to dive right into the awards ceremony. My name's Fergal Brennan, and on the digital stage today, we have Squawker's chief football writer, Mohamed Butts. He's shined his shoes, he's combed his hair. Have you got your hands warmed up to give someone a slap? Uh, metaphorically, verbally, no. I'm going to give hugs. This is this is a positive award. Nothing but hugs. Maybe a little tiny little. I told you so about uh, to to Liverpool defenders because I did say pre-match, guys. Freddy Valverde is very good. Don't just think of him as a defensive player. And they didn't. Van Dyke did his whole. I don't know what he was doing. Leaning, looking to check something was level. Maybe in the stands, Alexander Arnold didn't know that Vinicius was behind him. And uh, yeah, I mean that was that was that. That's the Champions League for Real Madrid. I mean, you know, Liverpool. Pay attention. Fede Valverde is Valverde's just underrated in general, I think. He's very good. Um, and people forget that. Just because he is a physical brute into defensive. You know what? Why are we talking about Fede Valverde? It's an awards podcast. Fede Valverde is great. Champions League winner. Good for him. Good for Real Madrid. Bad for Liverpool. I'm doing okay. Spoiler alert, I don't think <laughs> Fede Valverde is going to be getting an award uh, on today's show. But you never know. There's going to be a few surprises along the way. Alongside Mo, we have Mr. Champagne upon arrival, La Liga expert Alan Feely. Alan, how are we doing? Yeah, very good to be fair. Um, enjoyed Madrid winning at the weekends. Um, it's a good sign for La Liga, I think. Um, in what's been a difficult year, obviously losing Sergio Ramos and Lionel Messi last summer, losing Cristiano Ronaldo in 2018, missing out on Kylian Mbappe this summer. I think La Liga needed this kind of ego boost. So I think it was a very significant night from that perspective, even though Madrid haven't really dominated in a way befitting of champions, you could say, all season. Um, in Europe, they've been kind of under the cosh for a lot of it. I think they were worthy winners in the end because uh, Madrid were just, you know, the better side at the weekend, in my opinion. Liverpool were quite blunt. They looked quite tired. Um, and I think that Carlo Ancelotti was worthy uh, four-time winners, to be fair. Right, we're going to get straight into the awards and we're starting with the player of the season, the MVP for 2021-2022. Effectively, our pick for the Ballon d'Or. So this looks at who's had the greatest individual and collective impact on their team success right the way across the top five leagues in Europe. It's a tie-in of performances, trophies worn, individual roles, goals scored, goals prevented, etc. But the crucial line, Mo, is their impact in big Games Now, I'm not putting any ideas in anybody's heads. I'm fairly confident I know your pick and Alan's pick, but go on. Your pick for MVP. Pedri. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, come on. It's, no, it's Karen Benzema. Come on, it's Karen Benzema. There's no one else. It's not. There's no one else that can mess with Karen Benzema this season. He's he's taken off. He's taken over. It's been his season. It was obviously but for the start of the year, the first half of the year before uh, uh, Christmas, it was Mohamed Salah and Karen Benzema. The two of them were flying. Everyone looked. And Lewandowski, obviously, Lewandowski's always there scoring the goals. But, you know, you can't win. I mean, you should never win these individuals just for scoring goals. Uh, I know a certain uh, long-necked Portuguese fellow did, but you should never win these awards for just scoring goals. It's, it's, it, that's what the golden shoe is. <laughs> long-necked um, Portuguese individual. So, so I'm, so I'm sorry, Robert. Uh, you know, you, you should never. You know, he should have won it in 2020 because then, if you, if you, score, if those goals lead to the biggest trophy of all, fair play, right? Maybe you can make an argument for that if the other participants, or the other, the other 
great top players aren't maybe at their best level, which obviously in 2020, Messi was not at his best level. Neymar was not at his best level. Mbappe, so on and so forth. So fair enough, right, in 2020. And, you know, Cristiano, to be fair as well, in 2013, yeah, right, maybe, you know, 2020, maybe. 2014, sorry, maybe. But, you know, most of the time, you shouldn't win for scoring goals. You need to be more than that. So Karen Benzema is more than that. He's not just the goal, the leading goal scorer for Real Madrid. Although, by the way, leading goal scorer for Real Madrid. And in fact, actually, second leading goal scorer for all of Europe's top five leagues, plus the Champions League. He has 42 goals, which is second only to Lewandowski's, 48. He's not even far behind Lewandowski. 14 assists, which is the joint sixth in the division. Or if there's only there's five players ahead of him, basically. Um, 20 big chances created, also joint sixth. And what's interesting about those two creative stats is he's level with Messi in those creative stats. So, you know, Messi obviously not had this great season, but it's just, it's symbolic, I feel, that Benzema's creative stats are level with Messi's and his goal scoring is way ahead because that's sort of like a, obviously Messi left the league and we were wondering who's going to fill the power vacuum. And well, I mean, Benzema filled the first filled the power vacuum at Real Madrid when Cristiano left. Now he's filled the power vacuum in La Liga. Now Messi's left. And it's just like he's he's taking advantage, and he's been he's been sitting next to the throne for so long. No one's been no one's been giving him any attention. He's been sitting there like I'm really good. Everyone's like, Nah, you're rubbish, mate. You know, Michael Richards didn't rate him. Uh, Gary Lineker questioning him, and you know, look to a degree where if you don't watch the league every week, I could kind of get it. I suppose he's not putting up massive numbers, and if you don't watch Real Madrid regularly, which as we all know, none of the English media do because they've got not got the first clue about how Real Madrid actually play. Um, yeah, maybe you could you could be fooled into thinking he wasn't a key part of what they do. But then if you watch around, did you know how important he's been this whole time anyway? And now that they're gone, he's assuming the spotlight. He's just outrageous. He's been fantastic this season. And it's worth pointing out as well, by the way, direct golden moment. I know it's not necessarily the most, you know, illustrative stat, but Lewandowski's got 54 uh, this season. Mbappe has 55. Benzema has 56. I mean... Look, what, what can you say about Karen Benzema? He's the man. Back-to-back hat-tricks in Champions League knockout stages. 10 goals in knockout stages in Champions League. League called Cristiano. 15 overall. I think second only to Cristiano in 2015. I think 2014-15. I can't remember. When did he get the, the 17 goals? One of their three-peats, I'm pretty sure, was the 17 goals. Anyway, Benzema. Just outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Best player in the world. He's going to win the Ballon d'Or. Rightfully so. Uh, he's been Real Madrid's leader. He's been, and remember, he's wearing the captain armband as well, by the way, half the time for Real because Marcelo doesn't really play regularly either. He's their vice captain. He's been wearing their armband. He's been lead, proper leading from the front. Karen Benzema, absolutely amazing. The only sad thing is that the VAR officials spotted the little Fede Valverde touch uh, the weekend. And so Benzema didn't score the, the winning goal for Real Madrid. That's the only shame. That would have been the perfect way to end the season. But yeah, Karen Benzema, MVP, no questions. Alan. King Karim, would you agree? Your pick for MVP this season? Yeah, Karim the dream, isn't it? Like, he's incredible, you know. Um, I can only echo Mo's thoughts. I mean, 27 goals in La Liga, 15 in the Champions League. This is remarkable numbers, really. Um, and I think what's underrated, too, is, like, as Mo alluded to, is that's not just the numbers that tell the whole story. It's, you know, his whole presence, both from a personal perspective and a kind of tactical perspective. Because, you know, if you watch your Madrid play, he is the most important player by a country mile. Um, I know Luka Modric gets a lot of praise and it's rightfully so. Um, but alongside Thibaut Courtois, it's Benzema who's the main guy because not only is he a number nine, as I said many times this season, but he's also a number 10. I mean, he can do both things. He creates space for, you know, the likes of Vinicius and Rodrigo and Fede Valverde um, and even Eduardo Camavinga running in. Um, and Luka Modric too, of course. Um, and he's capable of doing everything. So while his hold-up play is excellent, he can also pick a pass. He can start moves and finish them. So, like, we've often seen him this season, you know, fire off a move by playing a ball on the left channel for Vinicius and then get into the box in time for to get on the end of it, basically. You know, it's a remarkable thing for a 34-year-old to be able to do. Um, and I just think it's been a joy watching him. And as a leader, he's been so important too because I think in recent seasons, he's really put his off-field issues behind him. He's very, very focused. He lives in the gym by all accounts. He's obsessed about taking care of his body and making sure that he can prepare for the games in the correct manner and I think he relishes being the leader as well I think he really loves being in the spotlight after you know Cristiano has left and as Mo said as well Lionel Messi as well um, and I think that he's kind of relishing his moment in the sun and he's working very well alongside you know the likes of Vinicius and Rodrigo and the other creative players I mean I know his relationship with Vinicius has been under the microscope but apparently they're actually very very close because well, so many other Real Madrid players are going international break, 
represent the countries, they'd be working together at Valde Bebebas together because, you know, Vinicius only recently broke into the Brazilian team um, and Karen Benzema obviously was only recently recalled to their French team as well. So they actually have a very good kind of, you know, big brother, little brother relationship. Yeah, the way he stood up and just was lead, led Real Madrid from the front, particularly we saw, I think, most, most especially against Chelsea and against PSG in particular in that second leg when they were dead and buried, they had no hope. And he just pops up with these three really, really good finishes, really, really, really solid finishes that completely turned that game on its head. And I mean, that was as close to a perfect tennis performance as I've seen since the five uh, nil Barcelona five Real Madrid nil when Lionel Messi's game in that five performance in that fight, and that was as close to a ten as I would ever seen. And then Xavi in the World Cup semi final against Germany. Until then, like that, that that was outrageously good. And I, I was so close to giving it ten, but he missed two very easy headers in the first half. He should actually have five goals in that game. So I gave him a nine. But he's honestly sensational. And it's the way he stood up and led Madrid and been counting for Real Madrid is just so impressive. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's just if only the ref hadn't seen that little tiny touch that Valverde got, he would have won the uh, the Champions League winner from profit, profiting from a goalkeeping mistake from Liverpool yet again in another Champions League final. That would have been another little echo as well. But alas. <laughs> uh, I'm going to agree. Obviously, uh, King Karim, three votes uh, for Karim Benzema to win the Squawker MVP of the season. You talked about his numbers, you talked about his impact, and, and they, they just, they're just immeasurable against anybody else uh, this season. And I think particularly big-time, showtime Benzema in the knockout stages of the Champions League, he's been absolutely sensational. He's now got 28 Champions League knockout goals in his career. Only Lewandowski, Messi and Ronaldo have got more. And this mini battle in the kind of post-Ronaldo-Messi era that he's got with Lewandowski, he's won that hands down. Lewandowski will probably always be frustrated about the Ballon d'Or that he was denied. But this time round, Karim wins. And I think as a little aside, that's my favourite part of this, that as Messi and Ronaldo wind down their careers, there is a, a vacuum before Mbappe and Haaland take over and Benzema is getting the recognition that he deserves because if they had carried on for a few more years or Mbappe and Haaland were a little bit older, then maybe he might have got missed as an all-time great. So he fully deserves that. My vote and the two guys' votes for King Karim Benzema. should also say, obviously, a special show, awards ceremony. We have got ourselves a special sponsor. This show is sponsored by William Hill. And if you agree with us in backing Karim to win the Ballon d'Or, he is 1-10 to 10 with William Hill to claim the crown. So check that one out if you're interested in backing Benzema. Right, we're going to move on to our next category, and it is rookie. The criteria is it must be a debut top flight season in 21-22. So I'm going to throw it across to you first. Who is your rookie of the season for 2021-2022? Okay, let me just say, let me ask you something, right? Under 18 players in Europe's top five leagues, right? Gavi is my pick, by the way. Gavi has 1,748 touches. That's second among all under 18 players in Europe's top five leagues. He has two goals. That's joint third. He has five assists. That's second. He has eight big chances created. That's second. He has 53 completed take-ons. That's second. 1,608 1,068 completed passes. That's second. Six completed through balls. That's joint first. 38 tackles, third. 25 interceptions, second. 20 possessions won in the attacking third, also second, right? So you're thinking, wow, who's this person ahead of him? The person ahead of him is Jude Bellingham, who is amazing. But Jude Bellingham is A, in one entire year older than him. He's about to turn 19, Drew Bellingham. Gabby doesn't turn 18 until August, right? And also, Drew Bellingham was played more than him, uh, 2,794 minutes versus 2,329 minutes. And Drew Bellingham was playing in the Bundesliga, which is a much more open and expansive league. And also, yeah, that's, it's not Drew Bellingham's first season in, in, the, in, the, in the top leagues. He's been, he's been at Dortmund already. This is Gabby's first season. He was lower. Basically, in preseason, Barca had their... Uh, injuries, Perry wasn't fit. So they had was with the Olympics, I think, at the time, actually. So they had to pick someone. So they picked this 16-year-old kid called Gavi. And he looked really good in preseason. But anyone can look good in preseason. That doesn't mean anything, right? But because, again, because the Pedri was eight, first off at the Olympics, then he got injured. It was like, well, and then it's like, well, who do you bring to this team then? And Ronald Koeman was like, and Ronald Koeman, as always, the only good thing you can ever say about Ronald Koeman is that he will chuck the kids in if he has to. So he, he, chucked, he chucked Gavi in there. I was like, go on then, kid. And Gavi was great. And he kept on being great. And then uh, Javi came in and Javi, who had developed into a bit of a hatchet man. This is the best thing about Javi. He's just a bulldog. He's a war warrior. He's such a, such a warrior spirit that Luis Enrique called him up for the Spanish national team. Like, oh, Pedri's injured? I'll just call Javi up instead. And everyone's thinking, that's a stupid idea, Luis Enrique. He can't do what Pedri did. And then he did what Pedri did. 
he he bossed uh, Italy and then in the Nations League and then he really he bossed France as well in the Nations League final. They, of course, Spain couldn't finish a chance, save their bloody lives. But, you know, they say lost that game, but that wasn't Gabby's fault. You know, he's wearing number nine for Spain, by the way. That's very strange. But, you know, he's, he, he's so dogged and determined and he's such a fighter. And, and it was the problem under Koeman. He did start to look like just a bit of a hatchet man, even at 17. But then Gabby, Ped, uh, Javi's come in and taken control of Barcelona. And now Gabby's starting to play real football as well. Like these, those numbers are incredible. And by the way, if you make those numbers set under 17 players, so 17 and under, he's by far ahead of everyone else in everything except for goals, where he's level with Yusuf and Makuku. He's just outrageous. He's for his age. There's no one on the planet even close to him. For debut se- and it's his debut season in the top flight in La Liga. He's again. He's 17. He's, he's literally 17. He's not about to. He turns 18 at the start of next season. He's so young and so unproven. And to, and and now, frankly, as well, if you've watched La Liga, Barca are a mess this year. They're, they're starting to get together now, but for most of the season they were terrible. And Gabby's come in no matter what position he's been asked to play. Right wing, left wing, false nine, centre midfield. He's been excellent. He obviously he's best in central midfield. He's played. He's a Spanish international. He played well for Spain. He's going to go to the World Cup almost certainly. He won't start. Pedri will start, but he'll go to the World Cup almost certainly. He's just been absolutely, utterly outrageous. Again, he's seventeen. It Gavi is utterly ridiculous. Yeah, I can't look beyond Gavi as well, to be honest with you. Um, he's a phenomenally exciting footballer. You know, I can only back up the points that Mo made. Obviously, just 17 years old. It's incredible how young he is. His physicality is still very much that of a, a teenager or even a child. But I think that the biggest thing with Gavi is his personality. I mean, coming into the team at the moment in which he did, which is Mo alluded to, is very difficult. He's played with such character and maturity throughout the whole season. Um, and while I thought that his form would have dropped off um, in the back end of the season, and to be fair, it did decline slightly, but not in any dramatic sense at all. Um, he's been very consistent throughout the whole campaign. I think it's almost difficult for him because he's compared with Pedri so easily. I mean, obviously Pedri is two years older than him um, and that bit more experienced than him. Um, and on another level to him, to be fair, like, I think that Gabby is a very good footballer. I think Pedri is, you know, already a bona fide world class playmaker. So I think that if Pedri didn't exist, we'd be treating Gavi with much more respect than we currently are. Even though obviously he's very highly rated by you know Luis Enrique with the Spanish national team, as well as uh, Xavi Hernandez with Barcelona. Um, you know, regarding the stats, I know that Mo is pretty thorough, but I think he does perform very, very well when you compare him to other, you know, players in his position across Europe's top five leagues. I mean, his pass completion rate, 87.8%, pretty respectable this season. You know, he's cleaning the ball because he's not a player who plays that safe. He does take risks. He does try and break the lines and carry the ball forward as well as simply playing short passes. Um, and that's reflected in his progressive carry, 6.73 per game. That puts him in the 92nd percentile um, throughout Europe. You know, um, dribbles completed, 1.56 per game. That puts him in the 94th percentile throughout Europe. Touches in the attacking penalty area. He's in the 98th percentile for that with 3.58 per game and progressive passes received he's in the 95th percentile for that with 4.74 per game um, and pressure is he's in the 90th percentile for that too with 24.01 um, so it's really quite impressive you know um, I think the biggest thing for me when I look back in the season was definitely the Nations League game against Italy uh, the semi-final of the final four uh, obviously you know Spain had lost to Italy in the semi-finals of Euro 2020 and then Italy went on and win, won the competition. Um, but this year they went to San Siro, played them. Uh, Gavi was started in midfield to much controversy in Spain because Luis Enrique chose him, even though um, Danny Parejo, for instance, a more experienced player, was overlooked. Gabby started instead, went toe-to-toe against Marco Verratti, who he's in the record of saying is his hero, his reference, his, his idol. Um, and not only did he, you know, live up to expectations and put in a respectful performance, he was probably the best player on the pitch, you know, playing with such aggression, so spikily, um, you know, not afraid to go at players, you know, snapping at people's heels. But as well as that personality and as well as that, you know, character, he also has the quality that goes with it, you know. So it was really quite impressive, I thought. Um, and yeah, I can't look behind him for player of the year, to be honest with you, from a, a rookie perspective, because I think that coming into this Barcelona team at that age um, is very, very impressive. And I think that uh, he's a credit to himself, to be fair. And, you know, also he's from Seville, he's in the city of Seville. He's from Las Palacios y Villafranca, which is also where Jesus Navas is from. Um, and several other players, you know, quite well known in Sevilla, I know, footballing history. And he's a local boy. Um, and yeah, very, very impressive character for sure. 
I am going to go with a Premier League pick for my rookie choice based on uh, based on 21-22. So yeah, back in the Premier League and I'm going for Crystal Palace's Mark Gway, another player possibly unfairly placed on that list of Chelsea players that were loaned out and then faced a crucial call on, on what to do with their futures, how to manage the next stage of their career. And in fairness to, to Gway and others, the most recent examples of that have all done pretty brilliantly. You look at Tammy Abraham at AS Roma, Vicayo Tamori at, uh, at AC Milan. But specifically with Gway this season, he's been what I would call Mr. Clean, the cleanest tackler in town in the Premier League. Stats-wise, he's got a fantastic record at tackling based on 1,246 players right the way across Europe's big five leagues who attempted 40-plus tackles last season. Gwei was successful in 35 of 41 tackles attempted. Percentage-wise, that's 853 as a success rate, phenomenal and higher than any other defender when you're using that measuring bracket. And incredibly, all of this comes within his first Premier League season at Crystal Palace. And interestingly, as a, as a little aside to it, his old Cobham teammate Tomori was fifth on that clean tackle list. So it proves that they do teach you how to tackle at Cobham. You might just not be tackling for Chelsea later uh, later in your career. And Again, within the context of where he's finishing, the team he's playing for, Crystal Palace finished the Premier League season in 12th. Just brilliant stuff from him as a leader, as an organiser and as a defender. And to be playing so well for Crystal Palace in his debut Premier League season, he's been given the captain's armband, nine games as captain in 2022, which is more than any other player that Patrick Vieira has given the responsibility of the captaincy too since the start of, uh, of the calendar year. So a fantastic season for him. Uh, and I think on an international perspective, there are doubts over certain defensive positions for England going into the World Cup in Qatar in December. If he carries on like this, cleanly winning any tackle that he throws himself into and being a fantastic leader, then he definitely deserves to be in that squad. And potentially, if things keep going, in the starting lineup for Gareth Southgate. We're going to move on to manager of the season. This doesn't need any real explanation. Uh, Mo, going to go to you first on this one. The best manager. So again, this is trophies won, style of play, performances, results, etc. Who is your pick for manager of the season? Pep Guardiola. Because style of play, they, they play the best football in the world. They have done for the last five years. Uh, they've been the best team in the world for four of the last five years. Uh, they won four titles in the last five years. And the one year they had, but they were a bit ropey. That's the one time they weren't the best team in the world. 2020, 2019-20. Other than that, they've been the best team, by far the best team in the world. They play the most incredible football you've ever seen. They're beautiful to watch. They're stunning to watch. They're incredible. Uh, you know, they've, 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 this is only the second time anyone's ever retained the Premier League a second time. Right? People have, uh, Jose Mourinho's retained it, obviously, and uh, once. So Alex Ferguson's obviously done it a whole bunch of times. But now Guardiola's joined, uh, got, jumped ahead of Mourinho. He's retained it for a second time. Obviously, they won 2017, 18, 20, 18, 19. Couldn't do the three-peat like Fergie, but they won it again in like 2021, and they won it again, you know, 2022. They're brilliant. They're incredible. Guardiola has done wonders. And, I mean, I know they've spent a lot of money, and they have spent a lot of money, sure. But, you know, when you know Liverpool fans go, oh, we've got the best striker in the league, the best uh, goalie in the league, the best defender in the league, and people laugh at them and say, oh, why aren't you top then? It's because Man City, they have, Liverpool have got the best striker in the league. They have got the best, uh, well, no, well, not now, they don't, but they've got, they had the best winger, the best forward in the league with Mohamed Salah. They have the best goalkeeper in the league. They have the best centre-back centre back in the league, probably the best two centre-backs in the league with Matip and, and Van Dijk, frankly. They have the best, maybe the best left-back, definitely the best right-back, uh, one of the best defensive midfielders, Fabinho. But why aren't they top of the league? Because Man City are phenomenal. That's why. This guy's got Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, Jack Green, well, not so much Jack Green, but, you know, Phil Foden. All these young players, not young players, these players who no one's ever considered to be the absolute best in the world. They're all very, very good, borderline world-class, right? But none of them are, oh my God, he's the best in the world. He's going to win all the major awards. They're not that level, like Mohamed Salah, for instance, or Virgil van Dijk, except for Kevin De Bruyne. And no one is on that level in the Man City team. And yet, they look how good they are every year, year after year. And obviously, they have De Bruyne. He is their one really, truly world-class player. They're phenomenal. Everyone points to Champions League elimination. Yeah, and they haven't won the Champions League, but the Champions League is a cup competition. Look at it this year. Carlo Ancelotti, Real Madrid played well for maybe an hour maximum in the knockout stages of the Champions League, and they won the whole thing, right? That's, it's a cup competition. Unless, and unless you're Real Madrid and you seem to permanently be able to sort of 
genuinely just engineer lucky situations like Real Madrid do, it's 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 literally a crapshoot. Anything could happen, good or bad, right? So it's it's just yeah, like they're phenomenal. They've been top of the league, by the way. They most goals in the Premier League, ninety nine goals, uh, joint best offensive record, twenty six goals, uh, plus seventy three goal difference, which is the best. Ninety three points, obviously best. And they, they were top of the league for twenty four straight weeks. They went top of the top of the league 50, uh, week fifteen, and they've been top ever since. They've just they, they are phenomenal sensational incredible and it's because of Guardiola because it's not because of their players and it's not because of their fans damn sure not because of their fans they don't have a sort any any sort of genuine home advantage like the, every game is an away game for them right uh you know and look how good they are look how good they continue to be I mean uh, it's, it's Guardiola it, what he does with that team is ridiculous and everyone says it's the money it's the money they had the money for a long time man they've had the money since 2008 they, they never retained no title before then they were up and down. They had they they won one title on goal difference because because uh, QPR didn't need to stay in the Premier League, didn't need a win to stay in the Premier League, so they QPR just threw it away and let them have it, you know, on the final day. And then they won another title because Liverpool because Stephen Gerrard fell over. Okay, Alan, I'm going to throw it across to you. Your pick. You've gone for a manager based in Spain, but he's not Spanish, and I think it's pretty obvious who you're going to go for. Give us your pick for manager of the season. Pedri, player coach Pedri. <laughs> Yeah, mine is uh, not a huge shock. Carletto, Ancelotti, um, I guess it's kind of, you know, a different way of looking at it to the way Mo has because I think that if you look at, you know, football um, from a performance perspective, um, it's Manchester City and Pep Guardiola because, you know, what the machine that he's built there is, you know, the perfect blend of art and science. It's it's unique, completely unique. I mean, it definitely is a bit of a bloodless project in many ways. It doesn't really have the same colour or the same kind of, you know, history and cultural importance that other clubs do um, but it's still a remarkable achievement and he's definitely the best coach in the world in my opinion but I think that given the job that Ancelotti has done this season it has to be him just based on achievement I mean he came to a Madrid team that was in flux last summer um, you have players getting older You Sergio Ramos has left Rafael Varane had left um, there was managing they need to be due nobody thought that they'd win the league at the beginning of the season everyone thought that Atletico would retain it um, I think nobody, definitely nobody thought they'd win the Champions League, but they did. Um, and like, while Carlo maybe hasn't built a machine like Guardiola, what he has done is, you know, play quite simple tactics, um, kind of simplified form of football, um, but create an environment where he gets the best sort of big personalities. And he's not afraid to cede power to those personalities either. Um, you know, every player has spoken so well about him this season. Um, he's fostered probably one of the best atmospheres in a Madrid dressing room in many, many years because for the first time in a long time, there's no bad apples there, really. Everyone seems to be on the same page, kind of singing off the same hymn sheet, working together. The atmosphere seems very harmonious and that's shown itself in the football pitch. Um, you know, it's slight tactical twitches. I mean, switches he's made, like including, you know, helping Vinicius finally learn how to finish. I mean, that can't be understated. Um, you know, managing... Um, Eduardo Camavinga's introduction to the team quite well not being afraid to pull off important players in important moments I'll never forget him taking off Tony Cruz against Chelsea and Tony Cruz to the face of Thunder but because Carlo was such a diplomat he could manage that situation very well without becoming a problem and it's I think it's also kind of you know almost reassuring in a way that you know in football you know sometimes you don't need to be this you know Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola style coach who's building, you know, complex attacking patterns and, you know, managing transitions in a certain way. And sometimes football can be simplified to having, you know, the correct personalities and the correct system that gets the best out of them. Um, and it works. I mean, also, I think that from Angelotti's perspective, he so clearly enjoyed every moment of it because, you know, he thought, he, he thought his time with the elite was done. He was with Napoli, he was with Everton, two big clubs, historic clubs in their own right, but not dining at the elite table. And he's come in and he's, you know, not had much control over transfers. I think it's been very clearly dictated to him what players he can sign and who he can sign by Florentino Perez. He was considered a placeholder this season, somebody who would do a, you know, quite solid job, if unspectacular. Nobody thought that they win what they won. And um, so for that reason, I have to go with him. I think it's remarkable. Yeah, while I, while I wouldn't say, I agree with agree with that he deserves to be manager of the year. I do think it's really impressive how he managed, specifically after the, the 4-0, 
against uh, uh, Barcelona. Because one thing Carlo, I've always said about Carlo, is he's great when everything's going well. He keeps everyone happy. And that's why he's perfect for Real Madrid, because Real Madrid as a club so don't so much need tactics and instructions as they need just someone to make everyone happy. Because they've got so many great players. Under Perez, they, they assemble such a galaxy of stars, right? That's literally their their motto, the Galacticos, right? They assemble so many great players that, that, you know, what you need is not someone to tell them what to do. They know what to do. You just keep football, like you said, keep it very simple and keep everyone happy. And that's that was the trick that Zidane had as well. Zidane was not a great coach tactically either, but he kept everyone happy. And until obviously he didn't at the end. And then, uh, you know, the same thing with Carlo. Carlo is great at that. All, you look at all the great Real Madrid coaches, with the exception being Jose Mourinho, and even to a degree Mourinho did it really, is they make everyone happy. You know, they make they, 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 they vibes. Del Bosque is another one. Just made everyone happy and chill. And that's how you succeed at Real Madrid because it's not a club that the, the players they sign don't lend themselves to being tactically, you know, taught what to do. So, and but yeah, so usually when things go bad against Carlo, he struggles to get it right to ship. But after getting whomped 5 0 by Barcelona, really got their trousers pulled down in the camp now and at the Bernabeu, you're thinking, uh oh, is this going to sort of expose the flaws? But he was just like, no, 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 let's that, just, you know, bring Benzema. I mean, to be fair, he just brought Benzema back into the team. But it was also just like, let's everyone calm down. He kept everyone calm, didn't panic, didn't overreact, just said, all right, stay calm. And they got back on the horse, you know. Aided, of course, by Courtois, by Benzema, those two in particular, and Vinicius. But, yeah, he's done very well. He's done very well. But for me, just the beauty and the sheer genius of Man City has to be Pep. I'm going to agree with with Alan on Carletto. I think Ancelotti's been brilliant. And I think Alan has, has wrapped it up perfectly there. Real Madrid, we look at the position ahead of this season. That's very, very important because they were drifting under Lopetegui and under Zidane part two. One major domestic or European title in three seasons. Carlo comes back does what Carlo does, calms the situation down. And he dispelled the myth of over-the-hill players and, as Alan said, an over-the-hill manager. We looked at the situation, with all due respect to Napoli and Everton, and thought maybe his time is gone. It's like the joke about De Niro not doing any serious films anymore. Has Carlo's opportunity to manage a Champions League side probably gone away from him? We thought that was the situation. And then, bam, he just proves everybody wrong. And... Real Madrid, just when you think they can't get any colder in these big games, Carlo has got them iced, absolutely iced. Champions League final, going up against the Liverpool side that are tearing teams to bits. They didn't, well, he raised an eyebrow, but nobody else raised an eyebrow and they won. And and, and it's, it is so nice and refreshing, as, as Alan pointed out, that you can be Klopp, you can be Guardiola, you can be Tuchel, but there's... There's more than one way of doing these things. And it's so nice to see that there is still a place for an alternative. Not everything needs to be measured through this prism of what would Jurgen Klopp do? What would Pep Guardiola do? Carlo Ancelotti is a hell of an experienced cat. You know, he was he was managing teams when Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola were still playing football. He's got so much experience and so much now. And to prove that that's still relevant in 2022 is a massive victory for him and for his players. So I'm going to agree with Alan and I'm going to go with with where, with Carlo. The one thing I will say, though, about that is it is great to see that a guy who is very tactics light and more personality heavy is succeeding. But again, it's, you know, he's got Benzema. He's not, he's not, he's not tactics light. He's just no, it's, a different it's very way of basic, doing things. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, it's, you look at the, uh, again, it's it's the thing where you want to have, be, uh, have don't go intensive on tactics, on systems and everything. That's fine. But then you need to have literally just the best players in the world at the sharp ends of the pitch. And he had that. Right, he's had Benzema, the best player in the world. He's had Vinicius, phenomenal. Had that's a, that's a skill within itself. It definitely is a skill. But I just, I in just, those players. I just, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. But for example, that's the reason why he could never elevate Napoli and Everton. Right, he didn't have those players at Napoli and Everton. He didn't have anything like that. The ability to elevate, truly elevate players that aren't necessarily like your Karen Benzema's. Right, that that to me is the greatest skill. And Pep just makes everybody better. Everyone, except for Jack Grealish. I think as well, the, uh, I think Pep and coaches like Pep, they elevate a team to a, where they're playing. A team is worth more than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. Right? So I think a manager like Carletto, he's very good at making sure that the team is worth exactly the same as the sum of their parts. And they do it all the time. And that's what the trick is, I think. That's why he can never, you know, progress Everton into a higher team or help Napoli grow as well, I think. But he's perfect for a club like Real Madrid. It's kind of a unique set of circumstances for him. I just think with 
Carlo Ancelotti, there's more than one way to squeeze the orange. And I think he's just, he's so experienced in these situations, you know, to use my ridiculous orange analogy, he's already got the juice in the fridge. And whilst everyone's, you know, Pep Guardiola's rushing around, trying to squeeze his oranges, Jurgen Klopp's got his juicing machine, Carlo just opens the fridge, grabs a glass, pours it in, Thanks very much. And that's that's how he rolls. That's that's just the way Carlo goes. Right. We're going to move on to uh, goalkeeper of the year. I think this is going to be a very short section because I'm confident I know who you both picked. I know who I've picked. Mo, we're going to go to you on this one. First off, goalkeeper of the year is? Well, this is why, by the way, but it's Pedri, obviously, first of all. <laughs> no, look, this is why. He's a great goalkeeper. A great goalkeeper. For, for a little fella, he's a great goalkeeper. No, look, this is why Carlo Ancelotti is a manager of the year, because it's Thibaut Courtois. I don't need to say anything. I don't have any stats. I don't need any stats. Listen to this, right? You want to know why Thibaut Courtois is a goalkeeper of the year? Go watch the Champions League final, right? That's why he's the goalkeeper of the year. Just, that's it. I don't need to say anything else. I don't need to, don't need to, you, don't, you don't need convincing. You don't need convincing. If you watch that game, Look, and his interview afterwards, he was very saucy. This man clearly has burner accounts on Twitter. I need to find them. He's somewhere on Twitter lurking, posting at people who are criticizing him. And I love that. We need more of that in football, please. More really, more salt, more salty footballers on Twitter posting on burner accounts. Look, it's Courtois. If you've watched Real Madrid at all this year, it's it's Courtois. It's very hard to not swear during this section because honestly, if you've watched him, if you ever have rooted against Real Madrid in any game. You just sit in there, you, you curse Courtois. And there are times, and it's not, the thing is, it's not constant, right? This is the funny thing about Real Madrid this year, is they're not being good necessarily in many games, but they're not bad either. And their midfield is going to hit the ball a lot, right? But they always get chances, right? And they'll be a, they'll be like, do-do-do-do-do, cruising along, nil-nil, not really playing well, not doing too well. The opponent suddenly, boom, 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 passing attack, ball comes through, striker runs through, it's going to be a goal against Real Madrid. They're going to go behind. Oh, no, it's not. Courtois pulled off a massive save. And then Madrid seems to just sort of lift. It's like that's like a mini team talk. Like he makes a save like that. And it's literally like everyone's like, oh, yes, we can play. And then Madrid sort of wake up and Madrid starts to dominate. And Benzema needs to do something and they score a goal. It, the amount of times this season, and I'm pretty sure I haven't done my club, but I, I would imagine it's at least once a game he does some ridiculous nonsense and keeps uh, Madrid alive. Athletic, the winner against Athletic Club is, is even be- was even better than the Champions League final in that game. It's honestly ridiculous. He's so, so, so good. It's just, it defies belief how good he's been this year. Standing tall repeatedly to pull Madrid out of situations. They Madrid have no, no, no right. Madrid have no right to win, frankly, either of the competitions that they won in the, set, in the way that they did them. But they did because Courtois was equally as good as Benzema. Honestly, the only reason I put Benzema ahead of him was because of the double hat-trick in the Champions League knockout stages. Otherwise, I was going to put Courtois as MVP as well. He's been that good this season. Just preposterous preposterously good and again if you need to just watch the Champions League final just watch it man it's nine saves most ever clean sheet as well absolutely outrageous fantastic interview so salty I love it Thibaut you sir are a legend congratulations he's going to win the best goalkeeper now two year two time the best goalkeeper will win it richly deserved fantastic what can you say Alan, Mo's done well to not swear, but there will have definitely been some Liverpool fans swearing at the TV in the Stade de France when Courtois was making save after save after save in the Champions League final. Is he your pick as well for Keeper of the Year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the season in La Liga is 16 clean sheets. He's conceded 29 goals, but his XG against is 42.91. So he's prevented, you know, 13 goals that a normal goalkeeper would have um, conceded. He's just a phenomenal footballer, you know. I mean, I watched him in the flesh a good few times this season and I'll never fail to get over his height. Like, he's so large and he's so dominant in the goal. It's it's incredible. He actually didn't win the Zamora Award in La Liga, remarkably. He didn't concede the fewest goals. That award went to Yassine Bono of Sevilla. Um, but I think Sevilla's defensive structure as a whole is probably more solid than Madrid's um, in terms of... Yeah, if you've watched Sevilla, that's that's not that's not because of Bono. That's because of Koundé and, and Diego Carlos. The whole team and and Uno and Lopetegui's, that's why they got rid of him. Lopetegui's approach as well. They were awful. They're so boring. It's so boring. More conservative, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, they're, they're so much more cautious and safety first than Madrid are, aren't they? Like, but yeah, I think, you know, similar to last season, you would, you know, in La Liga, for instance, you had Luis Suarez scoring goal after goal for Atletico and you had Jan Oblak making incredible saves for them. Um, this season, it's Madrid with the most decisive players in each box. And that's ultimately what's won them what they've won this season. Because as Mo said, their performances haven't consistently been amazing, but they've been decisive when it counted. And 
the most decisive attacker in the world and the most decisive defender in the world in Courtois. And that's ultimately, you know, what they've been successful. And I think that, you know, Courtois' attitude, he embodies Madridismo too in many ways because he has that arrogance about him. He's, you know, he's a fluent Spanish speaker. His former wife, um, ex-partner is Spanish. His current partner is also Spanish, I think. His kids are bilingual. You know, he's very much adapted to the Madrid and the Spanish way of life. And that's why he wanted to leave Chelsea so badly to come back to Spain um, after his loan in Atletico Madrid. I think that, you know, players like him and, you know, also uh, Camavinga who come in and Benzema too, who come into the city and come into the club and learn the language and embrace the culture are what, you know, makes Madrid what they are. And I think the culture of excellence is embodied in Thibaut Courtois in every facet of his game. So that's why he's my pick. I agree. I'm going three for three. We agreed on Benzema and we're agreeing on Courtois. I agree with Mo. The, the post-match interview after the Champions League final was was excellent. He was pouring salt. He took the shaker, he took the lid off and he was just throwing salt around. He's brilliant. And I also agree with Alan. Just the sheer simplicity of a goalkeeper being an enormous tree-like individual. And that's that's what Courtois is. He's just a huge guy that constantly makes saves. The, the Champions League final, there was no way Liverpool was scoring. Mo Salah had, I think, at least two chances where against any other keeper in the world, that's back of the net, equaliser or, or winner for Liverpool. But Courtois is just something else. And and a bit like Carlo, he's a little bit of a throwback. He's not bad with the ball at his feet or his distribution. He's good, but we're not talking about a goalkeeper who can spray the ball around and overanalyze in his ability to, to gather in pass backs. He does what he says on the tin. He's a huge fella that makes huge saves. It, and sometimes it, it can just be as simple as that. Get the biggest guy in the playground and, and stick him in goal. And that's what that's what Courtois is. So uh, we're going to wrap up with the most in-demand transfer prospect. That's our final category on today's podcast. Alan, we're going to kick off with you on this. It hopefully will be a busy summer for transfers right the way across Europe, not just in the Premier League. So who is your man in demand this summer? I've gone for Aurelien Chomeni of Monaco. Um, really interesting footballer, 22 years old. Um, 86 tackles made this season in Ligue 1. 262 ball recoveries, 101 interceptions. He's in the top 1% of interceptions across Europe's top five leagues. Um, he's already a French international. He's uh, eight caps for the French national team. They'll probably start for them in Qatar, like, you know, Kante and Paul Pogba. And he's just a really interesting player, you know. I think it's quite clear he's going to leave Monaco this summer. Um, it seems to be Madrid who are best placed to sign him alongside Liverpool and PSG. I think at the moment they're saying he'll cost maybe between 60 and 80 million euros. And I think that given the emotional impact of Madrid missing out on Kylian Mbappe this summer to PSG, they need to bring in a big signing. I think he is that signing. I think that signing or, you know, a replacement, direct replacement for Mbappe would be a mistake because he'd always be the guy they got because they didn't get Mbappe. And um, if that makes sense, I think that given Madrid's squad this season, you know, with Karen Benzema still in top form, Vinicius playing off the left, Rodrigo and Valverde playing on the right. I think you can get away without signing a striker, if that makes sense. Maybe if you do sign one, it will be a backup striker, someone to give Benzema relief, somebody in the mould of, I don't know, maybe Richarlison, as you mentioned, for instance. Um, but I think that, you know, if you bring in Xiaomeni, you're basically buying a midfield for the next decade because with Camavinga, you know, they're friends personally as well. Obviously, you know, similar ages and stuff, both in the French national team. I think that you're buying a player who could finally deputise for Casemiro in that pivot, um, really important position, that they've not had anybody this season to do that. I mean, they've played Cruz there, they've played Camavinga there, but neither of those are natural sitting players, whereas I think Chomini would. Um, physically, he's so good, but also he's clean on the ball. Um, he's quite a mature head as well. He's a very, very exciting player. So I think that he'll be the most kind of, you know, maybe in-demand player this summer. Obviously, honour mentions too to, you know, Frankie de Jong seems to be likely to leave Barca this summer, maybe going to Manchester United. I read a report this morning that they're going to offer him £395,000 a week, which would shatter their wage structure more than De Gea, more than Jadon Sancho, um, more than Rafa Varane, more than Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I think also, you know, obviously Sadio Mane looks likely to leave for Bayern Munich soon. So there is other transfers there. Jules Koundé, I think, will go to Chelsea, um, who's coincidentally on holiday with Chamini. They were on holiday together in Miami last week, so I think they probably got up to some fun over there. Um, they're back to the French national team now, but yeah, 
I think Chomeni is a really exciting player. I really like him personally. I'm a big fan of him and I hope he comes to La Liga from my perspective. Mo, I'm going to throw it across to you. Your in-demand pick for this summer? Darwin Nunez. Darwin. No, look, Chomeni is a great shout, man. He's he's probably the best. He's probably the best. Well, the second best player that's going to move this summer. The best player that's going to move this summer is Robert Lewandowski. But again, he's only going to go to one place. He's going to go to Barcelona, allegedly. He's the only place he wants to go. So you can't really pick him because, again, no one else is going to get him. It's only going to be Barcelona, which is still weird, by the way, that he wants to leave Bayern Munich. But, I mean, you know, I suppose if, you, if you're 34 and you've got like two years of world-class football left in you, why wouldn't you want to go live on a beach, you know, in a beautiful weather, you know, playing for a team full of young players who are hungry to give you the ball? I mean, it makes sense to me. Uh, so who is in demand? Well, it's Darwin Nunez gigantic uh, i'm not gonna say he's good looking because apparently twitter didn't like that i said he was good looking they got really upset about that he's also good at football twitter you can relax you know he's not just that he's good looking he's actually good at football as well he's got um 1.07 goals per 90 minutes right this season europe's top five leagues plus portugal that's level with Lewandowski. it's more right level with Lewandowski, who is also top, that's joint top He's got 1.67 take-ons per 90 minutes, level more, more than Lewandowski. 1.34 chances created this per 90 minutes, more than Lewandowski. Oh, 0.46 big chances created, more than Lewandowski. So per 90 minutes, this guy is keeping pace with slash outdoing Lewandowski. Now, of course, Lewandowski plays in the Bundesliga, Darwin plays in Portugal. Bit different, not quite the same standards of football. But the potential he showed in the Champions League against Liverpool, we all saw it really, really good. Jurgen Klopp was a fan. I mean, yeah, Jurgen Klopp, if you impress Jurgen Klopp, you have to be pretty good, right? Man United linked with him. They need a centre forward badly. Can you imagine Darwin Nunes in that team? Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford. But well, imagine Bruno Fernandes and Jaden Sancho having Darwin Nunes to, to pass through. This gigantic, you know, tank of a human being who runs like a flipping, you know, runs like the Flash. Imagine having him to pass through instead of 37-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo, you know? Like, that's... That's a considerable upgrade physically. I mean, maybe not in terms of finesse of finishing. Sure, Cristiano still a lethal poacher, but imagine suddenly it's Darwin Nunez they're, they're passing to. That's a bit better, right? And then now, Christian, now and now Cristiano now suddenly is oh we don't have to mark him. We've got to mark this big guy. Oh, but there he is. And now Cristiano goes into space. I remember Cristiano has never done really really well. This is this is his best season without without an exceptional number nine. This past season, you put him behind it with a number nine. As long as there's a left back to cover him defensively, he could start seeing more out of Cristiano. Who the hell knows? Uh, and then, you know, but then also Chelsea are linked with him because Lukaku obviously has been a disaster. So, you you know, it, and they've got their new owners, right? So you cut you cut your losses on Lukaku, you bring Darwin Nunez in. That could be successful. PSG are linked with him, although PSG probably not now that they've kept Mbappe. You'd imagine that, but could Real Madrid go for Darwin Nunez, you know? Put him on the front three, put him on the right. You know, I mean, he doesn't really, he's a right winger, but what do Real Madrid care about tactics? You know, you put him on the right with a uh, put him on the right, put Vinicius on the left, uh, Benzema up front. They'll find a way to make that work, won't they? You know, it's Real Madrid. You know, any club could go for him. Maybe not Bayern. Well, even Bayern actually, if they sell Lewandowski to Barcelona, maybe he'll, maybe they'll go for Darwin Nunez. You know, so any club would be happy to have him. He's a phenomenal player. I think he's really, really special. He's yes, Twitter, very good looking, very handsome, very good at football too, though. Very, very good at football. Big, bold striker. Like I said, looks like a 90 Serie A striker, which is always the highest confidence you can play a forward. Uruguayan, so you know he will absolutely die for whatever shirt he puts on. Uh, an absolute warrior. You know as well, if he has to, he will dive and win you a penalty if he has to, because he, he's got that fighting spirit in him. And you you need that. You need that. Because sometimes, you know, referees just aren't going to give you something. So you have to better con the referee. He'll con the ref, he'll fight the opponent. Um, yeah, very special forward. I think a lot of every big club really should be after. I mean, maybe Liverpool, if if Sadio Mane goes, you know, Luis Diaz, Mohamed Salah, Darwin Nunez up front. Uh, my pick is maybe a little bit further down the food chain than, than your suggestions. I'm going for Eintracht Frankfurt's Philippe Kostic. Um, for me, looking at him this season, he's a perfect blend of available and affordable going into the summer. Frankfurt are only probably going to demand about £25 million for him. And stats-wise, he's, he's excellent. Just looking at the Bundesliga alone, he's third for expected assists and expected assists per 90. Only Thomas Muller and Christopher Nkuku, who possibly would have been another pick for this category, are above him. He's top for key passes for the last two successive seasons. And this is a Frankfurt side that, yes, they were successful in Europe, but they finished 11th and they've got a left wing back who's top for key passes. He was fourth for passes into the penalty area and second for crosses 
into the penalty area. He's a he's a chance creation machine. He can muck in and get back and help out with defending. He used to play at left back before moving into a more advanced role. So he does a bit of everything. Spurs probably the strongest links with him. Spurs he's more consistent. Spurs need to get on that. He's I think, and I think I think they will, yeah. I think if, if Ivan Perisic gets done, he'll be used further forward. And obviously, because of his age, he's, he's more of a rotating option. Um, he's, as I say, he's more consistent than Sergio Regulon. And I think he dovetails really well with Dejan Kulisevsky on the other side. I know he'd be more advanced. Um, and for Premier League fans thinking about this, he's he's almost Andy Robertson-esque in, in his style. That's the best way I can kind of frame him he likes to burst forward and it's just delivery after delivery into the box and if you've got not necessarily a striker that likes to score headers if you've got a striker that likes to steal into space and score goals and and gamble inside the box for all those little chances he's perfect and in in Son and Kane if they both stay at Spurs this summer he'd be perfect because it's just cross after cross after cross after cross he's he's absolutely brilliant um and again he, he falls into that bracket of you won't break the bank to sign him uh, if he maybe goes to a slightly higher up team than Spurs, he's not going to be demanding to play every week. I know Frankfurt have got into the Champions League by winning the Europa, but I just think he'd be I think it'd be an ideal signing, versatile, and we've seen a growth in fullbacks where if I think back to our fullback podcast, he's a bit of a mixture of all. He's a playmaker fullback, he's a freight train, he's an accidental centre forward fullback. He does a bit of everything and if Spurs can get a deal done, I think he'd be a perfect signing for them. Yeah, he's very good. He's very good. He'd be any cheap as well. Wouldn't be too expensive. Experienced, good hair, good leader. Frankfurt were fantastic. If you watch their games against Barcelona and West Ham's Costage is ridiculously good. Very quick as well. I mean, yeah, that would be if that would be if you play wing back with wing backs, that's a very smart pickup. Chelsea, uh, you know, Inter, uh, who else? Um, obviously Spurs. You know, you play with wing backs or you want to play with wing backs, that's a smart pickup if you can get Costage. He's very good. Yeah, I agree. Right. We're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Squawker Talker podcast. The awards have been handed out. I don't have any champagne or any hors d'oeuvres. So you're just going to have to get your coat, ring a taxi and and leave, frankly, Mo and Alan. But thank you for your time, as always. All right. See you later then, mate. It's going to leave after the whole season. (laughs) You don't... That's how it's going to be. I'll just go. We just just, listen in the spirit of Manchester United. We just didn't have the budget for champagne and hors d'oeuvres. I'm afraid. No, sorry. That's just that's just the way it goes. Ed Woodward has wasted all of our money. We don't have anything left. Let's just blame Ed Woodward for everything. I think that's a safe bet. We can just do that. Blame Ed. He forgot to pick. He, uh, he forgot to pick up the champagne and uh, and the uh, <laughs> and the hors d'oeuvres. Right, we are going to put a lid on it for today's podcast. We will still be knocking around over the summer, producing a Squawker Talker podcast. Maybe not as frequently as we have been during the season, but building back to what hopefully will be an incredible 2022-23 campaign, we will be here all the way. So up the top, hit subscribe, and you can get access to the show as soon as as it is cooked and ready. Thanks so much for your support this season. It's been a brilliant campaign and we'll catch you very, very soon.